Hi, welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to podcast number 12 in the series, A New Voice of Freedom. These podcasts all come from a series of four books I have written entitled, In Defense of Christianity. The ebook, paperback, and audible can be accessed at ronaldmesser.com or on Amazon. Today's podcast is entitled, Truth and Light. Light equals the power of God. Truth equals the knowledge of God. God is the fullness of truth and light. We refer to God as omnipotent because He has a fullness of light. We refer to God as omniscient because He has a fullness of truth. We refer to God as omnipresent because His light, or laws, fill the vast reaches of the universe. He is the light that is in all of us, Christian or non-Christian, in all living things. In fact, He is the light that is in all things. Where there is no light, there is no life. We are eternal intelligences, spirits made of truth and light. Truth and light have always existed. There is no first cause to intelligence, to life, to light, or to truth. As intelligences, we have always existed. Life, light, and truth, like matter and energy, cannot be created or destroyed, but they can be increased. Quote, but the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Proverbs 4.12 That is what Christ meant when he said, quote, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5.48 We will be perfect only when we have a fullness of truth and light, which cannot come until after the resurrection. He was not talking about life on earth, for none of us are perfect and will never be perfect on this earth. As the prophet Isaiah said, quote, But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, Line upon line, here a little and there a little. Isaiah 28:13. Christ was talking about the perfect day, when we have a fullness of the truth and light of God. That can only happen when we are sanctified and made perfect through Christ. Sanctification is necessary before we can enter the presence of our Father in heaven. Just as truth and light can be increased through obedience to the laws of God, truth and light can also be decreased through disobedience to the laws of God. Quote, the way of the wicked is as darkness, they know not at what they stumble. Proverbs 4.13 Everything that God does is about agency. God protects our right to choose between good and evil, light and darkness, truth and error. Christ offers us a fullness of light and truth. However, because of agency, we must accept that light and truth. Our eternal identity depends upon the truth and light we receive. We are children of God, of royal birth. We have God in us. We are such things as gods are made of. Though intelligence, consciousness, and life self-exist, our immortal spirit bodies, made in the image of God, were created by God. Our mortal physical bodies, made after the likeness of God, were created by God. This earth was created by God for us. We were sent by God to earth to gain a physical body and to grow in truth and light of our own free will. Ultimately, truth and light will define us. All the children of God who came to this earth to receive a body will, because of free grace, be resurrected. All resurrected beings are perfect. Everything will be restored, and our resurrected bodies will be complete. No blindness, no deafness, and no infirmities of any kind. 
It was Christ who said, The very hairs of your head are all numbered. In the resurrection, we will be distinguished one from another, not by the mortal imperfections of the body, because they will be perfect, but only by the light that is in us. In other words, we were sent here to earth as a test to see if we would keep His commandments away from His presence. Only by keeping the commandments of God can we increase in truth and light. Paul was speaking of the resurrection when he said, quote, There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians 15, 40-44 The light we have in the resurrection is a choice that we make in this life. We are given the light according to the laws we live. Light is in the law. Agency is at the core of all laws. In this life, we do not have a fullness of truth in light. God alone has a fullness. There is only one way for man to receive a fullness of truth in light, and that is through the grace of Christ. We will be judged by the laws we have. We will be resurrected by the laws we live. When we stand before God to be judged for our works, as resurrected beings, we will wear truth and light like a garment. We would not be able to hide the light we have any more than the sun, moon, or stars could hide the light they have. Those who reject the light here will of their own volition live in different degrees of spiritual darkness there. It seems to me that one of the most important things we can learn is who God is and who we are. What is our relationship with God? God has many titles. The prophet Isaiah tells us, His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In the Holy Scriptures, he's often referred to as Father, Heavenly Father, Father of Lights, Father of Spirits, Glorious Father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Holy Father. And we are called the children of God. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, we're instructed to address God as our Father who art in heaven. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Job relating to our life as spirits before the earth was even created. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measure thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. We were those morning stars who sang together. We were those sons of God who shouted for joy when the foundations of the earth were being laid. In other words, as spirits, we looked forward to coming to earth and gaining a physical body. We couldn't contain our excitement. It seems clear then that we are to look at God as if we were all in a family relationship, making all the descendants of Adam and Eve our brothers and sisters. That puts things in a different perspective, doesn't it? It sheds light, for example, upon what is meant when our forefathers said, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. In other words, God is our creator, and God created us all equal. We came to this earth as equals with equal potential. It is a birthright, and no government has the right to trifle with it. Equality, a gift of God, already exists. 
The scriptures are clear that our natures go beyond this earth. The apostle Peter tells us, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promise, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter is saying that we all have a divine nature because God is the father of our spirits, as one of his titles suggests. Let me read more of Peter's words. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Diligence, faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity are all virtues of Christ. The more of those virtues we acquire in this life, according to Peter, the more will be our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must consider light, truth, knowledge, and virtue as synonyms. Each of the attributes of Christ increase our light. The more attributes we have, the greater our light. When looked upon in that light, things start coming together. The two great commandments, love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, when looked upon as the greatest of all virtues, begin to make sense. We were sent to earth and given a physical body to learn how to be more Christ-like in a world hostile to virtue. Without strong opposition, we cannot really attain the virtues of Christ. That leads to some very serious questions about the nature of God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ and about the purpose of life. The first question we must ask then is, what is the nature of God, the Father of us all? Perhaps no greater description can be given of God, the Father of us all, than to say that He is at one with the law of justice, which is why He is omnipotent and omniscient. That means that when the fall came, we were cut off from the presence of God forever, because in our fallen state we were incapable of living the law of justice. To do that, we would have to be perfect, but none of us are perfect. That is where the role of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came in. He was perfect. Perfection can only come from perfection. He came to earth to save us from our sins and to make us perfect again, like we were before the fall. His role is to sanctify us so that we can once again live with our Father in heaven. In other words, He wants us to again be at one with the law of justice. That is what sanctification is, a purification, to take us from an imperfect state and place us in a perfect state. That is why God sent His only begotten Son into the world. We all know the beautiful words. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We cannot be saved unless we are sanctified, and we cannot be sanctified unless we accept Christ as our Savior and keep his commandments. Ultimately, perfection, preservation, immortality, and eternal life can only come through the law of mercy. The conditional laws of this mortal world cannot perfect us, nor preserve us, nor sanctify us. Through the law of mercy, we can once again be at one with the law of justice. Because of the atonement of Christ, God can be both perfectly just and perfectly merciful without contradiction. 
God is God because he is just. God is our Savior because he is merciful. It goes back to the great battle between good and evil, order and disorder, freedom and captivity. Justice alone can maintain order in a universe. Think of justice as unconditional law which can never be robbed or cheated or modified. God must remain just or things would revert to disorder and chaos. Nothing can rob justice, not even God. Without justice, God would cease to be God. Mercy alone can overcome the power of justice by satisfying the law of justice. That is why Christ had to die for our sins, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty. We focus on the cross of Christ as well we should, but perhaps forget the suffering of the Father who had to watch His only begotten Son suffer innocently for the sins of an ungrateful world. How many parents have suffered intolerably because of the suffering of their children? It is perhaps easy to overlook the fact that God allowed His only begotten Son to suffer because He had empathy for our suffering. God, to be God, must be just, but to be merciful, Christ had to satisfy the law of justice. It was the Father's plan for our Savior to sacrifice His life for mankind. John 3.16 Christianity's favorite scripture is as much about the Father as it is about the Son. We appear unwilling to accept the fact that we really are the literal offspring of God, born into His kingdom of royal birth. John said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. 1 John 3.2 However, to inherit the kingdom of God, we must develop faith in God away from his presence. Paul tells us, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.26 We sometimes get mad at God because he doesn't play by our rules. Our rules, however, will not get us back to heaven. To live with God, we must live by his rules. The law of justice requires it. The law of mercy makes it possible. Christ doesn't require that we live the laws perfectly. However, to preserve agency and free will, he requires that we strive to live his commandments before he can make up the difference. Only Christ can sanctify us and make us perfect. A theme that I repeat in this book is that something can never come from nothing. Perfection can never come from imperfection. Christ was the only perfect being to live on this earth. Therefore, Christ is the author of perfection. Before even coming to the earth, we agreed to become subject to the trials of life and to obey the laws of Christ. Peter refers to life on earth as the trial of our faith. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ. Through the fall of Adam, we were disinherited suffering both a physical and spiritual death. The role of Christ is to restore our inheritance. In Matthew 5, 5, we read, For they shall inherit the earth. In Matthew 19, 29, we read, Shall inherit everlasting life. In Matthew 25, 34, we read, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. In Hebrews 9, 15, we read, Promise of eternal inheritance. In Revelation 21, 7, we read, Inherit all things. As Paul tells us, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joined heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. It was also the Apostle Paul who succinctly told us what we must do to inherit the kingdom of God. 
And now abide of faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. As we face the new year, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all resolve to develop those three virtues, faith, hope, and charity? When I think of faith, I think of action. When I think of hope, I think of patience and endurance. When I think of charity, I think of the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. Charity is the pure love of Christ. That is why charity is the greatest of all virtues. If, as Christians, we strove to live the two great commandments, what peace that would bring to a turbulent world. May we have that love, that we may live in that peace. We wish you all a very happy new year. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.